Uh, October 30th, 2023. A really significant date in the calendar this year. Something monumental happened on this day that would go on to shape the rest of the year. At least that is the truth for my friend Gareth Williams, who works in a department store over in Brisbane. Because October 30th, 2023 was the first day that she who shall not be named began to sing their song of Christmas at the department store in Brisbane. October 30th. I don't know about you, but it certainly seems to me that that Christmas is starting earlier and earlier and earlier. Well, at least with the advertisers, at least with the shops it is. That, That almost every year now, earlier and earlier in the year, they're trying to get our attention about Christmas. Uh, In our household, I've got an American influence on me, so we definitely have the idea that before Thanksgiving, Christmas is not even being thought of. Now, Australians don't have Thanksgiving to hold back the tide, so in some ways we miss out because of that, because we can just jump straight into Christmas. We've got nothing in between. But we are now towards the end of November, and good Aussies, generally speaking, don't start looking at Christmas until December 1. So I am creating a little bit of a furphy today as we commence our Christmas series, building up towards Christmas 2023. Yes, in case you've been living under a rock and not shopping in a department store in Brisbane, Christmas is coming. And so what I wanted to do this year, uh, in the lead up to Christmas, and not on Christmas Eve itself, but in the four Sundays we've got between now and Christmas, is we're going to take four carols, four famous carols, and there's a lot more than four that we could use. So I've tried to choose four that are fairly widely known, uh, fairly well sung, uh, that actually have some good good things to preach to or speak about within them. Uh, And so we're going to unpack the theology of our Christmas carols. Now, I want to give a little bit of a warning right now. If you love Christmas and you love carols, I'm not trying to shoot down any of these carols. I am going to you know, pull some of them apart and say some fairly significant things about some of them. Uh, please be aware that I'm aware that when you write music and you write carols, generally speaking, there's a lot of poetic license used. And so when the authors were writing this, It's not necessarily the case that the carols we sing, they were looking to be entirely correct historically. There's also the reality that some of what we know now, they didn't know when our carols that were written often in the 1800s were actually written. And so in some cases, we've come to know that some of the lyrics aren't entirely accurate, but at the time of writing they were, and they certainly still carry a message about Christmas and towards Christmas. And so, please, I'm not trying to make it, oh, I can never sing that carol again now because you've ruined it for me. Please don't let that be the case. But it is important that we're aware of what we're singing. Singing is an incredible way of actually getting something into your mind because you get those peppy tunes that go in and you just can't let them go. And that's one of the ways that we learn. And so it's really important as we sing our carols and as we think about the words of our carols at Christmas, that we actually know what of these is actually accurate, what's not, and what can we actually celebrate from the message of these carols. Uh, Today we're going to start where all good places start, at the first thing, and we're going to start with the first Noel. Now, the other thing I have to warn you of, 
I have a really hard time reading out Christmas carol lyrics. You don't want to hear me sing, so I'm going to do my best to not break into song when I'm reading the verses. But it just, you just, like, as soon as I start reading them, I feel like I'm meant to sing. So uh, if, you, if you need to, uh, pull me back at some point, we'll see how we go. Uh, but with the first Noel, a little bit of history to it. Uh, the first Noel actually has Cornish origins. So from Cornwall, uh, or the people of Cornwall, uh, it was written. Now, Noel is the French word for Christmas. And so really what it's saying is it's the first Christmas. But if you actually want to go even further back, the word Noel in French comes from the Latin word Natalis, which simply means birthday. So we're actually singing in the first Noel about the first birthday. Not the first birthday of people, but the first birthday of Jesus. And that is what this carol is trying to tell. It's trying to tell the story of that very first Christmas. Uh, it was almost certainly written somewhere between the 13th and 15th century. And that's fairly significant because you think about music that's being sung today like Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. I really hope we're still not singing that in 500 years' time. I really hope that doesn't happen. Oh, did I mention her name? Sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I really hope that that's not the song that in 500 years' time has still got the sticking power that songs like this one do. So the first Noel has been part of the Christian carol scene since somewhere around the 13th to the 15th century. The current form, in the version that we actually sing more commonly now, actually is celebrating a birthday this year because it was first published in 1823. So the version that we sing today, this year turns 200 years old. Nothing I can say today is going to take away from 200 years of history, so hopefully it'll, it'll bear with it. it has been, this song has been covered by people such as Mariah Carey, uh, Whitney Houston's done a version, Toby Mac's done a version, Glee did a version, and of course, Chris Tomlin, the famous Christian who likes to sing all the songs, uh, has also done a version of this song. So in case you're not aware and you're trying to pick your mind, what, what's this song again? Because not everyone necessarily knows all carols. Uh, the first and second verses for this, and then I'm going to take some time looking at those verses, uh, says this. The first Noel, the angel did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. In fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. I'm not worrying about the chorus. It's just the word Noel lots and lots of times. Uh, they looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far. And to the earth it gave great light. And so it continued both day and night. And so far I have succeeded in not singing. Uh, now, the, the biblical reference for this verse, it actually is tying into a part of the story. So if you want to go and have a look at the biblical reference, what is this speaking to? Uh, the context of this verse is Luke chapter 2, and it's verses 8 through 20. You see, our, our Christmas story effectively has two main places that we get the information from. There's Luke's account, and there's Matthew's account. And the account of the shepherds is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. 
Now, a couple of things you would have noticed that I had highlighted a couple of parts of the song before. Uh, And the first one is the poor shepherds. One of the challenges around the idea of trying to work out what was going on at the time of Jesus' birth is there's actually a lot of conjecture around the role that shepherds played. On the one hand, some would say that the shepherds were one of the most detested people groups that there were. On the other hand, there's actually evidence that that shepherds actually had a bit more of a say than we may have thought they did. They maybe weren't quite as detested as they've been said to be. Uh, Maybe they weren't actually that poor. They may have actually been relatively well off uh, in their own sense. Uh, Inflation hadn't hit quite so much at that stage. But one of the ways that we can get an idea of the role that shepherds played at the time is shepherds were not allowed to bear witness in court. So if a shepherd saw something happen and then that went to court, they were not deemed to be of high enough status in their society that they could actually share that story and it be believed. Now that's significant in our story of Christmas. And we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, The next one is that a cold winter's night. A cold winter's night. Now, this is an extra biblical detail. What that means is that the actual Bible doesn't tell us when Jesus was born. Uh, What the Bible does say is that there was a census called and so that Mary and Joseph were returning to Bethlehem for that purpose because they had to go back to where they were born. It is highly unlikely that a census would have been called in winter. You you didn't want people travelling in winter. You didn't want hundreds of thousands of people travelling back to their location in winter. Uh, So it is almost certainly untrue that it was a cold winter's night. Uh, Why does the carol sing about a cold winter's night? Because the author lived in a place where Christmas was in winter. In fact, many of our carols that sing about Christmas being in winter, being cold, us Aussies don't necessarily get uh, because it's not winter in Australia. And in many cases, the reason why the carols are sung like that is because the authors live in a place where that's the story. They're not necessarily thinking about what was going on in Bethlehem at the time. But on this idea of the census, uh, and this is one of the places where the carol itself is not necessarily wrong, but actually, it's almost certain, and I'm going, to, I'm going to tread on some very dangerous ground in a moment, it's almost certain that the Bible is wrong. Now, yes, you just heard me say that, right? So let me just pick your jaw back up off the ground. The realities are that if you look at the story in Matthew and you look at the story in Luke, it's actually really hard to marry those two stories together with what we know to be historically accurate at the time. Uh, In fact, they can't entirely work out which census is being referred to. There is a census that the Quirinius called, that was the governor that's referred to as calling the census. Uh, And there is one that was called in 6 BC, so a long time before the the considered time that they exist. But then there's another problem, because there's another story in the Bible about Herod. And Herod get, you know, finds out that they've come and Herod has all the two-year-olds killed. Now, the problem with that is that the reign of Quirinius and the reign of Herod the Great actually don't correspond together. There's no way for both of those stories to be true 
by our understanding of what is now. Is the history wrong? Maybe that's the case. Uh, what we also have to remember is that when people were writing down history at the time of Jesus' birth and in those early times in the Bible, they didn't have the same scientific approach to history that we have today. Uh, if you go back to any kind of historical document from the time, you will find countless places where other forms of the history don't accurately reflect what was going on. So in this case, it's not a case of the carol necessarily having it wrong, though it almost certainly is wrong about it being winter. But we actually have to hold in tension the stories of Christmas and how they do or don't mesh together. One of the things about this, though, is it actually adds to the credibility of the story. And you might say, how does that work? If you're fabricating a story, you make sure that the details line up. You don't want anyone to be able to trip you up. One of the ways that historians actually work out when something is accurate and when it's not, or at least an accurate telling from the perspective of the author, is they actually look for places where things don't quite add up. Because if you are fabricating a story, you don't make up those kind of mistakes. If you're, if you're thinking about your kids, if your kids are trying to tell you a lie, uh, they will come up with all kinds of crazy things that they will have thought through. And you try, and you try and work it out and you try and go through it. You try and make it as clear as you can so that you don't get caught out on something really simple. Uh, another thing about here is it talks about the shepherd seeing the star. Uh, this is definitely a case of poetic license. Uh, it does not say anywhere in the, in the stories. It, obviously, the star comes in, and we're going to come to that. But it doesn't say anywhere that the shepherds saw the star. Uh, the author of this carol has taken the poetic license to tie the whole carol together and talked about the shepherds actually seeing a star. Uh, but that isn't what took place. But what is significant and what does this verse get right is that besides family, shepherds are the first group referenced in the Bible as seeing Jesus as a baby. And if you remember back to what I said before about shepherds, that they can't, actually, they can't tell testimony in court. Uh, this really goes against what you would expect if someone was trying to write up an account to actually share to the world, because no one's going to believe those shepherds. They do not have the right to actually testify to anything. And yet in Jesus' story, as God influenced the authors to write the story, whether or not which details are right and which details might not be, the humble shepherd plays a starring role. It speaks to the humility of Jesus' entry into the world. That, that he didn't come with you know, a great triumphant procession of really rich and famous people coming and prescribing, Jesus is born, make way for the king. But instead we have a group of humble shepherds who have no standing in their society to actually testify to anything, being given the starring role of testifying to the birth of Jesus. And that is what our carol speaks to. Uh, the next couple of verses that we have, verses 3 and 4, say this. And by the light of that same star, three wise men came from country far. To seek for a king was their intent, and to follow the star wherever it went. 
Verse 4. This star drew night to the northwest. O Bethlehem, it took its rest. And there it did both stop and stay, right over the place where Jesus lay. Uh, the Bible reference to this, and so this part of the story does come from Matthew. And most things to do with so most things to do with the shepherds comes from Luke. Most things to do with the wise men come from the reference in Matthew. Matthew chapter two, verses one to ten. And we get the story of these wise men. Now, it mentions three there. I'm going to leave that detail for a moment. We'll come back to that when we get to the next verse. But what it does speak to is this idea that there were wise men from some distant country. Uh, the word for wise men there, in some translations, they still left it as magi, which is the plural of magus. So what is clear from the Bible is there was at least more than one. So we know for sure there was more than one. Otherwise, it would have said that the Magus came from a country far. So the Magi came. Now, who were the Magi? Uh, so in some ways, they're sort of referred to as magicians, but not in the way of you know taking rabbits out of a hat. That's not the kind of magicians we're talking about. Uh, they may have been astrologers uh, studying the stars. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's the most likely thing they were. Uh, they were certainly wise in some regard, which is how they get the idea of being called wise men. Uh, they were really interested in studying and discerning what's going on. But they are unlikely to have been kings. So we're not preaching on we three kings of Orientar, but let's just burst the bubble right there. Uh, they almost certainly were not kings. They did not have a kingly role in any way. Uh, they were wise men almost certainly studying the stars, and that's why this star caught their attention. This star was something special. And they were seeking a king. So they themselves were not kings, but they were seeking a king. Uh, Matthew 2.2 2 says this, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So there's something about this star that they were aware of that was special, that was significant. And they've come to find this king. And they're expecting to find a king. They don't necessarily know that they're looking for a baby. Uh, that's not a part of the detail that they're aware of. They are, are sure that they're going to find a king who has been born king of the Jews. And they come to worship him. Uh, and it talks about them following a star to where Jesus lay. In Matthew 2, 9b, it says this, The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it st stopped over the place where the child was. Uh, in this instant, the carol is actually very accurate. The parts of the story that it shares, it talks about them following a star, and it talks about the star stopping over the place of Jesus. But I actually think the most significant part of what this carol catches that is true to the story, what should definitely not be missed, is don't miss the reality that foreigners were recorded coming to worship a new Israelite king. That for some reason, people who were from afar, that had nothing to do with Israel, we know that the Magi were not from Israel, but they had heard of this new king 
And they knew that there was something significant about this king. And so they came to worship. Now, you don't just go and worship any random person who's going to become king. They knew, they had an awareness that the king that they were coming to worship was going to be someone significant. Verses 5 and 6 say this. Then entered in those wise men three, full reverently upon the knee, and offered there in his presence their gold and myrrh and frankincense. And you've got to sing those two lines slightly differently to actually get them to rhyme, but you know, you make it work. Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught, and with his blood mankind hath bought. So this is where the author of our cow wraps everything up and shares a little bit more in the story of, of these wise men that were traveling. Uh, and now this is where we get that idea. So Matthew 2, 11 to 12, that's where it's talking about specifically here. That's the biblical reference. And this is where we get our three wise men. Uh, many, many of you will already be aware of this, but the reality is the only reason why we say wise men, three wise men, is because there were three gifts. We actually don't know how many wise men. It's unlikely that they were traveling in such a small group. Uh, generally speaking, the Magi actually traveled in fairly large-sized groups. Uh, but you know, that's just what you did back in the day. It was much safer to travel in numbers. And so almost certainly we're talking about much more than three coming. But what we do know is that they offered three gifts. And that is what is true to the story. But the other thing which is clear here and again, uh, it comes through both of them, is the response of both the shepherds who were lowly and really didn't have anything to offer in terms of what society or culture would expect of them, and the Magi who in their own place and in their context actually would have held fairly significant rank. Both demographics of people's response to Jesus was to worship. That there's something about this child being born at Christmas, this first Noel, that should draw all people, whether they come from the lowly shepherd or they come as wise men from country far. The response to this king is worship. And so then as the chorus goes, Noel, 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 Noel. Birthday, 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 birthday. Okay, not quite what we sing. That would be a bit stranger. Born is the king of Israel. So for all the minor details, and I'd actually say the parts of this carol where the details aren't quite there, uh, many of them are small historical things that uh, have been discovered since that time, uh, or it's things that in and of itself, whether you sing about there being three wise men or not, that really doesn't matter that significantly. What this carol shares is this. The birth story of Jesus was both humble and glorious. As you go through and you look at the account of Luke and you look at the account of Matthew and you get those little details about the shepherds being of, of lowly detail, 
Jesus was not born with triumphant fanfare in terms of an earthly sense, but he did have the angels in the skies proclaiming his praise. He did have people traveling from around the world to come and worship the king. He came in humility in a house or a stable for a different week. And he came as a baby. And if any, any of you have held a baby and there's a small child over there at the moment, just over two months old, they're, they're pretty humble. They're pretty, they can't do much for themselves. And yet the King of kings and the Lord of lords chose to come in humility and frailty. And yet the whole story of Christmas is, is couched in glory and honour and praise and majesty. And there's something to be worshipped and something to be celebrated and something to be honoured each and every year. So how do you celebrate Christmas? What, what are your little traditions or what are the things that you do? What are the things that are important to you? How do you mark the beginning of Christmas? How do you mark Christmas itself? What's your family's Christmas season look like? Uh, don't judge those around you who might have a different way of doing it. If they started celebrating Christmas in August, well, that's their thing. Just leave them be. Uh, if they start putting decorations outside, just look past the house and sort of just, you know, turn a blind eye as you drive past. Certainly not what we're going to be doing, but that's okay. But how do you celebrate Christmas? But increasingly, I actually think the next question is more important than that. Where is Jesus in your family traditions? Uh, increasingly, Christmas is becoming more and more secular. It just is. That's just the case. More and more carols have nothing to do with the Christmas story. More and more carols are to do with Santa, or more and more carols are to do with the fun of Christmas, or the food of Christmas, or the joy of Christmas, without actually touching on the person of Christmas. How are you celebrating that first Noel? And, and how are you in your family? And if you're a parent and you've got children and you're sort of setting some trends, or maybe that season's gone and it's actually about reinstilling Jesus. How are you making sure that Jesus plays a role in what Christmas looks like? Or, or is Jesus just sort of a, a tag on that you go, well, Christmas is about Jesus, but I can't wait for the presents. Or, or it really is about Jesus, but that family meal on Christmas Day, that's what Christmas is about. How are you as a follower of Jesus making sure that the person of Jesus, that the shepherds came to see, that, that the wise men came to honour and worship at that first Noel. How are you making sure that Jesus plays a central role in your family's traditions? And so what I'd love you to do this week, uh, if you're one of those who doesn't start thinking about Christmas till December 1, wait till December 1 to do this. If you don't mind starting to think about Christmas just a little bit early, I'd love you to find some time this week and just, just put it in your calendar or put it in your diary or put it in, maybe it's one of your devotions, if you do devotions each day, or, or find some time to, to revisit Jesus' birth in your own thinking and reflect on what does his birth really mean to you. Now, we all know that, that in many ways, Christmas without Easter doesn't mean an awful lot. But without Christmas, we don't have Easter. Without Jesus' birth, we don't have Jesus' death. 
Without Jesus' death, we don't have Jesus' resurrection. Without Jesus' resurrection, we don't have Jesus' hope. And so in many ways, the story of Jesus begins with the story of Christmas. And so how can you this year try not to just go through the motion, you know, all right, we'll get the Christmas tree up, all right, we'll sing some songs, all right, we'll watch some Christmas movies. Is Die Hard really a Christmas movie? Anyway, that's a different, different note a different day. How do we make sure that this Christmas, amongst all of those other traditions, and I certainly have no problem with them because I love them myself, how do we make sure that Jesus really is the reason for the season? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for that first Noel. We thank you that you sent your son in humility, And yet the story of his birth has reverberated for centuries, millennia. We pray as we come towards Christmas again, and we're at various levels of readiness for that. But we pray that you would help us to center our thoughts and minds on you. And celebrating the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you for this season. Thank you for the reminder that it can be about your story. And may we keep you at the heart of all that we do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.